available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. We're going to recap everything that went down in Week 8, preview Week 9. Our power rankings are absolutely a mess. We'll talk about all of that. Um... Email if you want to send us a question. You guys have been sending in the questions pretty regularly. We appreciate that. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us. We've been trying to tweet a little bit more at Pac12podcast. And our website is Pac12podcast.com. And if you'd like to leave a voicemail, uh, we've been getting those to 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. I'm thinking, so podcast of champions, right? Yes. But... Given the state of the conference, should we be more like podcast of like good ish, or like podcast <laughs> of like some above average, some below average? Really, you take what you can get, or would that just be too long? Is that too long of a name? I don't think it would fit like the domain name. I don't think there's restrictions on how many characters. Right. Good point. Good point. Good yeah. point. But it, it would make sense, I think, logically, because it's really not good. And then we're gonna, you know, we're gonna pre, you know, talk about this later. Spoiler alert, though. Uh, USC got their ass handed to them on the road. Uh, that doesn't help the conference like try to make uh, a playoff. So that's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking the Pac-12 isn't going to make it this year. We'll see. I mean, Stanford looks like they're the best team in the North right now. They got two losses. USC in the South has got two losses. You know, I mean, heck, someone tweeted like San Diego State could have wins over the winner of the North and the winners of the South. I, that, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, this is the uh, podcast of booty football. That's what this is. Uh, <laughs> That'll fit. It's a, it's a conference of dookie, so that's what you do. <laughs> well, there was some some good in the dookie. Uh, I want to give a, the shout-out to the Pac-12 Players of the Week. Uh, for the first time since Rodney Pete did it uh, back in 1988, Khalil Tate, uh, third week in a row, he's the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the week, so if you know, if you're like, hey, I, I never heard of that guy. You probably haven't been listening for a couple weeks, but he wasn't the starter at the beginning of the season, but he is now and uh, running all over everybody. Uh, plays for Arizona. Went to Sarah High School here in Southern California. He does really good work. Uh, freshman linebacker Collins uh, Schooler for Arizona. They got that big win in double overtime against Cal. He had like five thousand tackles or something, so that was good for him. And then Brandon Ruiz uh, for ASU. He got the special teams. Player of the week, which, you know, Arizona State won by 20, Dave. I'm not sure, you know, the kicker hit three field goals. That's great. But without those three field goals, they still win the game. So I'm not sure. <laughs> it was it was good. I mean, it was a I mean, we'll get into the week. It wasn't like the most spectacular or dramatic week in the Pac-12. So I think they're probably searching for somebody to give it to. And they're like, yeah, three field goals. That's nice. Yeah. I, I usually I vote every week. I, I didn't get to vote this week. So I didn't go through all the uh, nominations because I was traveling back from Chicago for the game, but you know he's a he's a, obviously he's a great kicker, and uh, Khalil Tate man three weeks in a row that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's spectacular. My favorite Khalil Tate stat, 
yeah, he's running for whatever. That's great. Um, he's averaged over 10 yards of completion in every game he's started. Like per completion? Per complete. No, no, per attempt. Okay, per attempt. So yards per attempt. Sorry. Yards per attempt, he's over 10 in every single game he's started so far. So every time he drops back to pass, it's a first down. Yeah. But I think the, every time he the, runs, the it's a first down. down too, right? Oh, no, no. So, And he's also averaging more yards per rush than he is yards <laughs> per pass attempt. Yet his yards per pass attempt, I, I mean, I don't know if it's eligible yet because he's only thrown the ball 50 times, but I'm pretty sure that would be leading the league in yards per pass attempt as yeah. well. So, so, yeah, he's really good. Um, if 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 uh, Arizona had been doing the right thing from the beginning of the year, he'd probably be in Heisman contention right now. So he's averaging a first down every play. Yeah, yeah, he is the human first down. <laughs> but I think that undersells it somewhat. He's he's sort of just the human. He's the human explosive play. Yeah, that's who he is. That's what he does. Yeah, his shorter runs are because. They weren't that far out from the end zone, that you know. So that they, right. it, it, it has to stop there. Like even though he has well, to that's the stunning thing is they'll use him like a lot of times he's like their third and three conversion guy too. And so like some of these rushing attempts are they are designed like short gains where he he only gets four or five yards, which makes it all the more impressive that he's averaging like twelve or thirteen yards a carry this year. Yeah. I mean, because some of these are designed to be just conversion runs, not necessarily. 70-yard touchdowns. So we it's wanna, impressive. Yeah, very impressive. So we'll recap all the games. There was five games in the Pac-12. Uh, Shout-out to uh, Kyle Bonagora for coming in last week uh, in studio. We'll, here, we'll do a... Thank you, Kyle. Uh, that was That's great. That was very fun. Um, so he he did a... So we, I don't know. Should we have him pick with us? Should we have, like, over email or something, like, continue to pick? Yeah, we can throw his picks up on the uh, on the old uh, on the old uh, website. Yeah, we could do that. So Kyle did well. He did. Uh, he was four and one. Uh, I was four and one, and Dave was three and two. So we all did pretty well. But Kyle comes in uh, on fire there, and uh, right out of the gate, four and one. Yeah, um, pretty great. Uh, yeah, if I wouldn't have broke my own rule, I'd have been five and zero. Oh, but I broke my own rule, which I will never break for the rest of the year. So I promise you that. Um, but we'll get to all that stuff uh, when we get there. So I guess we'll do our countdown, Dave. Yeah, let's do it. Our number 12 team for, I don't know, how many weeks in a row has this been? Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State was thankfully on a bye this week? Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Um, so that was yeah. nice. So hopefully they did good things on the bye. Um, okay, so we have a game, though, for our... Our, our number 11 team, it is... Colorado Buffaloes. And they were on the road at... Washington State Cougars. So, Colorado... I mean, if, if the gap wasn't so big, Colorado would be, be knocking on the door at number 12 right here. Uh, <laughs> they got shut out by Washington State on the road. Uh, didn't look competitive. Didn't look competitive to the point where Steven Montez was pulled at halftime and uh, Sam Neuer, I think that's his name, Sam Neuer. Yeah, Sam Neuer comes in at quarterback, um, doesn't do much. I mean, neither of them were very good against what has been a pretty tough Washington State defense. But this offense's performance was disgusting. Uh, they rushed for 80 total yards on 40, uh, 40 carries and threw for 94 on 34 attempts. Like, this is... 
that is revolting offense. Because um, <laughs> defensively, they were actually okay. I mean, they were fine against Washington State. They weren't great, but allowing 28 points to Washington State at, on the road, that's fine. I mean, that, that should be enough to keep you in a game if your offense is doing really anything at all, and they just weren't. Um, this was, I mean, Colorado has fallen apart. Um, this offense that we were all expecting to be good-ish has been so bad. Um, and it looked like it was perking up there for a little bit, but just no consistency whatsoever. Steven Montez, who we talked up a bunch in the offseason, is potentially an improvement over Cephalou Fowl, has been far from it. Um, he has not matched the level he played at when Lufau was hurt last year at any point this season. Um, their running game, I think Philip Lindsay's been good, and he's played hard and yeah. he's done everything he can, but their offensive line hasn't been playing well. Uh, Philip Lindsay hasn't been getting a whole lot of room to run. When he has, he's been explosive and great. When he hasn't, um, he's done what he can. But this is just a broken-seeming offense, and uh, just – that's that's really the tale for them. They just can't get it going. Oh, terrible! You feel so bad for Philip Lindsay because he's such a good back, and to have zero points, 174 total yards, and one of 17 on third downs. One of 17. Like how bad is that? McIntyre, uh, Mike McIntyre, the coach, head coach afterwards said this is the worst offensive performance we've had since I've been a coach here. So. He didn't like it. Um, Mike Leach on the other, high, uh, other side said uh, the game was less pathetic, so that's good. Um, they hadn't shut out a conference opponent, I think, since like 1994. So uh, good for, for Washington State and Mike Leach. They bounced back. Um, if they, you know This Washington State team, if they're what we kind of thought they were and there's that one bump in the road, there was a terrible bump, but it was a you know, bump. You know, they, they obviously still got a shot. Um, you know, they're one of three teams in the north. They could win it, and you, you know, I think they took care of business. We all got this one right. We all said it was a eleven point spread, and all of us, you, me, and Kyle, all picked. This was like the easy cover. Like the, this yeah. doesn't make any sense, you know. So we were obviously yeah, it, right. It didn't make any sense. I, I would say the one concern for Washington State still is, I mean, obviously their defense is pretty sharp, but um, Luke Falk again, just not quite a normal Luke Falk game. Uh, he only completed fifty percent of his passes, which is shockingly low for Falk, but honestly shockingly low for any air raid system quarterback. Um, there's so many short passes in the system that you should really be completing a minimum of like 60-65% in basically every game. So maybe a little bit of a still, you know, still a little bit of a concern there um, just for Falk, but um, overall, I mean, I think you've got to like it as a bounce back. Um, shutting out a team at home, I mean, that's that's fine and great so yeah um, good bounce back for washington state but colorado is slipping hard yeah what would it take to for them to go to 12 like what do we what do we got to see i've got to see an oregon state win at some point yeah um i I mean they might have missed their opportunity last week when they couldn't quite put it away against colorado but if they'd won that one i think colorado would have been in contention for number 12 yeah i mean the head-to-head for sure but like that's the problem is that colorado beat them head-to-head so oregon state's gonna have to beat somebody um, yeah, and they were playing better, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, I, there's there's a couple opportunities on here. I mean, if I was Oregon State, um, you know, this Friday at home against Stanford's a tall order, but between at Cal, at Arizona versus Arizona State at home and at Oregon, you could see it happening. I think maybe at Cal or at Oregon, just because those two offenses don't seem quite great at this moment. Uh, the Arizona suddenly look a lot tougher, but. I mean, they could pull it out um, in one of those games. It's hard to predict one, but 
I, I could see an Oregon State win, and if Colorado continues to slide, maybe it could happen. We'll keep see. some drama at the bottom of the rankings. Yeah. Okay, so that's 12 Oregon State, 11 Colorado. Our number 10 team is Oregon Ducks. And they were actually on the road against our number 9 team, so I'll play it now. UCLA Bruins. Yeah, I think we just flipped these two spots after the results of this game. Um, yeah. So uh, UCLA beat Oregon at home 31-14. Um, this was a tie game at halftime, 14-all. Uh, and then UCLA shut out the Ducks in the second half. Um it was a nice bounce-back performance from UCLA's defense. Obviously, Oregon's offense is crippled at the moment. Um, Braxton Burmeister um, charitably doesn't look ready. Uncharitably, which I generally am, uh, he doesn't look like a D1 quarterback. Um, like, he doesn't – what's shocking to me about Burmeister is, yeah, he can't throw, and that was the whole thing on him coming out of high school, but he honestly doesn't even look that fast for a yeah. guy who can't throw. Um, so that was kind of stunning to me, just watching him. Um, in this game, not even really being effective on the zone read too much. Um, but UCLA's defense, they did some different things. They were attacking upfield a lot more. Like the defensive line was clearly in attack mode, shooting gaps rather than trying to play contain. Um, the linebackers, probably because Burmeister was not much of a threat to throw, could play up a little bit more, um, attack the line of scrimmage a little bit more. And it led to some really good things in that second half, especially. Um, they basic, I mean, honestly, they basically shut down Oregon's offense for most of this game. The 14 points um, came through another UCLA tradition, uh, lack of discipline for the Bruins. They had a number of penalties that extended Oregon drives uh, that led to those touchdowns. I mean, you can make an argument UCLA should have shut this team out. Um, Oregon, I mean, this is a completely different Oregon team than we saw in the opening weeks with Justin Herbert. Um This speaks to all the issues we've talked about over the years with uh, Mark Helfrich's quarterback recruiting. Um, They just don't have talented bodies in that depth chart. And when Herbert goes down, they don't they don't have anybody else. Um, And for UCLA, uh, it was a nice bounce back Uh, offensively. I thought they did a pretty decent job running the ball, considering how good Oregon's run defense was looking heading into this game. Um, 37 carries for 142 yards doesn't look fantastic, but. The two lead backs, Bolo Runfinby and Soso Jamabo, both averaged over four yards a carry, which for a pretty pedestrian running attack was actually pretty good against a good run defense. And Josh Rosen bounced back from that horrible game at Arizona. So nice bounce back win for UCLA. They did what they should have done against a, a team that was obviously pretty crippled offensively. Yeah, this one I had, uh, I picked, I was the only one that picked the Bruins. You and Kyle both picked uh, Oregon. The I had Bru- Oregon to win. You had Oregon to win. Yeah, UCLA was favored by seven. I just kind of felt like they'd come back home. Um, I was a little worried about the run defense for sure for UCLA, and you know you've you've beat into my brain that they're absolutely awful. But I and I and I saw it, but I liked at least that they made some adjustments. And the, really, the problem, and I think I got this stat from John Wilner, who does a great job at the San, at the San Jose paper. I think Oregon ran eighty percent of their plays. So if you're going to be that one dimensional, I get that. Bur, you know, Burmeister is not very good at throwing the football, but you got to at least keep a defense honest a little bit. And I think if you did do that and and try to you know stretch the field or just make it a little bit more balanced, maybe the the run defense isn't going to be you know the, you could exploit that run defense a little bit more. But they ran like eighty percent of their plays. What are you going to do? And and UCLA made great adjustments. I thought they were aggressive up front and shut it down. So uh, to not allow a point in the second half, uh, you know, you got to. Little tip of your cap for Jim Moore. That was a, a really good win for for the Bruins, and you know they're the only team right now that has you know that doesn't have either 
only one win or only one loss. Like everybody else in the conference, it's like they're all you know one loss in conference or only one win. UCLA is like two and two, right? So they're um, they're a little bit yeah. different than everybody else. So they're kind of in that weird spot. We'll see kind of where they go uh, from here. But I, th- I thought it was a nice win. Uh, I did see a tweet that like something about Justin Herbert and pads, so maybe he's coming back, but I don't know if you've heard anything. I didn't see whether or not he was going to be back. I'm not sure they would even release that at this point. Um, he was work. He was practicing last week, and he's increased his workload this week. But I don't know for sure if uh, it looks like you know he's practicing in pads. So who knows whether that means he'll be available this weekend? Obviously, they want him back as soon as possible. I would uh, honestly. Um, all due respect to Wilner, I thought they should have run the ball more. Um, really? Frankly, Burmeister was so bad. Um, <laughs> there, so there was this one play in the second – it was either the second or third quarter. Uh, it was the third quarter. Um, uh, Oregon's down 10, but they're driving, and they've just been running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball for chunks. You know, Royce got 10 – I'll look it up. Royce got 10 on first down. Then Burmeister ran for two – or loss of two. Then Royce got another 13. And then Kenny Benoit ran twice and got it to third and three at the UCLA 40. And Oregon goes empty backfield with Braxton Burmeister, five wide. And he just conventional drop back and then chucks it down the field and it gets picked, obviously. Um, but they'd been running the ball so well on that drive and they were down by 10 at that point. If, you know, if that drive turns into a touchdown, it's a game. Um, and it was just he... Uh, Burmeister really can't throw too much. Um, he got a couple of nice things going in the first half. He had one nice ball down the down the seam, um, and then he had another one where he, you know, threw a nice little slant. But he's, I mean, he's incapable at this point of his career of throwing <laughs> throwing too far downfield. Um, it was it was it was rough. It was rough. They were working on the pi offense at one point, so maybe that's what it was. They just wanted UCLA's DB to get all over the receiver, but. Um, yeah, I thought they should have run the ball even a little bit more. Keep it down to about ten to twelve passing uh, pass attempts in this game, and they might have you know been a little bit more competitive. All right, well that's uh, UCLA and Oregon. Let's see. So we had Oregon ten, UCLA nine. So our number eight team is California Golden Bears, and they, our... oh, they were hosting Arizona Wildcats. So this was fun. This was maybe the most <laughs> fun. fun game or the only fun game, really, on uh, Football Saturday. Uh, Arizona won a double OT thriller against California, uh, 45-44. Um, Cal um, maybe did the best job against Khalil Tate that we've seen this year, and that's not saying a whole lot um, because oh, – well, that is saying a lot, but it's it's not really – you know, it's, it's faint praise because Cleo Tate still ran for eight yards of carry and threw for 166 yards and 15 attempts. But they did kind of shut him down. They had one, he had one long 76 yard touchdown. And then after that, it was just kind of a few yards here, a few yards there. Like he wasn't allowed too many explosive plays. Um, the run game in general did a pretty good job. Uh, Zach Green, who was uh, basically their Arizona's full back after a little while because JJ Taylor. And Nick Wilson were both uh, – J.J. Taylor was kicked out for targeting, and then Nick Wilson, I think, got injured. Um, Zach Green was the only one going, and he had 20 carries for 130 yards. Um, Cal hang, hung in there. Um, they got a little bit lucky with some stuff, but um, Ross Bowers did some nice things for a while, um, had a couple of picks, but he, he was he was keeping them in there for a while. 
And Patrick Laird, I thought, did a really, really nice job on the ground. Um, So this game ended a little funkily. Um, So it was in double OT. Arizona went first, scored a touchdown. And then Cal scored its touchdown, but it it had to grind for that touchdown. They had to convert on a fourth down. Um, And then uh, Justin Wilcox made the decision to go for two. um, And I think they threw the ball at the back of the end zone. Um, But it. what did you think about this decision? Because I was kind of... um, on the fence about it not simply because um <laughs> them missing the conversion uh ruined my cover here but uh or ruined my potential for a cover because i had arizona minus three um but I, I don't know cal was moving it pretty well in the second half they scored 24 points in the second half um after kind of being stymied in the first half they, they really seemed to be moving it and i, I thought they could have kept up with the uh, scoring competition against Arizona in this overtime. Yeah, they could. I, I could see when they were forced to go for two that maybe like Tate just runs it in and you're like, okay, now you're down eight and you got, you know, you could be in a bit of a hole. Um, I like, you know, Cal scored right away. They scored first in the first overtime and then Arizona, you know, scored and then they scored again. It was like back to back. And I think at that point, Wilcox was like, all right, we're not going to stop them. Uh, I think our best shot is to go uh, for two here. And so Dave was talking. So, uh, I got this right, Kyle got that right, and Dave got it wrong. I was getting text updates while I was interviewing people in South Bend in Notre Dame Stadium of what was going on in this game because I couldn't watch the, the double overtime, but it was the like a three-point spread. So what I did was when I found out, the good thing is when you cover some of these coaches, Dave, as you know, you get to know them. So I sent Justin Wilcox a text and said, would you please go for two? It would be a guaranteed cover. And he's like, you know, that's not a bad idea. So I'm not saying that I had any influence over him, but it was, you know, potentially I did. And uh, but yeah, so once they were going for two, I was very happy because that was the guaranteed uh, cover. I I didn't have a problem with it, Dave. Um, you know, I wasn't watching it live, so I, but it seemed like Tate was scoring fairly easily. And you know, I think when Cal went up the first score in overtime, you feel pretty good. When it's back to back touchdowns on you. Uh, and they, like you said, they had to grind out that one uh, in double overtime. It was just kind of like, all right, I'm not sure how how long we can keep this up. Uh, let's just go for two and try to end it right here. I, th- I think it's a win either way. Like, Cal's proving that they're a legit team. I know they're only one and four in conference. They got a couple, you know, beating Mississippi is still good. They're, it's a nice resume for a first-year head coach. And going for it, I think you're going to you, – I don't think he got a lot of flack from the fans over that. I think they like the fact that he – you know, showed some chutzpah and, and wanted to go for it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking at the second half. So the drive chart for Cal in the second half, they went. So after a first half that was plagued by, you know, a lot of punts, a lot of interceptions, the whole deal, they really got in a rhythm in the second half. Like they opened up with a 13-play, 79-yard touchdown drive. Then their next drive was 11 plays, 56 yards touchdown and then another uh drive 11 plays 80 yards touchdown then eight plays 38 yards field goal um they scored on four of five drives to uh end the the end regulation i just yeah given the way that second half had played out where they kind of shut down arizona's offense and they'd kind of gotten going offensively i thought they had the momentum um and i just thought i would have i mean at home i know it's a whole big cliche and trope but i would have just i would have kept going through over time and just count on arizona making a mistake at some point or you being able to shut them down and keep them to a field goal like i think they uh, they were driving the ball well enough throughout that entire second half they clearly figured some things out against that arizona defense i just thought they had the 
they had a lot of the momentum at that point. But yeah, I mean, it's a good aggressive move. I don't, I don't fault it too much. I'm mostly just bitter that I lost the cover. Yeah, that was that was good. I was very happy as I'm interviewing distraught USC football players and coaches, and I'm like checking my phone, like yes. <laughs> like I don't know why it matters so much, Dave, but it does. You know these things. It matters that, so much. That's more than anything. <laughs> to us, probably just to us. Now to Kyle too, because he's involved. Um, yeah. So you know, it's funny, Rich Rod. Hot seat. We're talking about if he loses to Arizona State, he might not have a job. Hell, I mean, they can win the Pac-12 South again. Uh, Khalil Tate's been like a savior there. Hell, with Khalil Tate, they might win the Pac-12. Yeah. I mean, so Arizona, we'll get into this a little bit maybe in our preview, but Arizona's schedule up ahead is not kind. But um, with Tate, I mean, he's a human highlight reel. Um, So who knows what could happen. Yeah. All right. So that was... uh, we had Cal at number eight, at, coming in at number seven. Utah Utes. And they were hosting... Oregon Ducks. Wait, Incorrect. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were, Did I press the wrong button? They were hosting... Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> <laughs> this was sad because we spent... How many weeks have we been talking up Tyler Huntley? So much. Like how many weeks? Ever since he got hurt, but I like, even like the my week pick. before that. I almost switched my pick. Yeah, and he was clearly like, I mean, he was rusty as hell. At least one of these picks was like 100% not his fault. Like the running back just biffed it and kicked it up into the defender's arms. But he threw four interceptions. Uh, Arizona State won on the road 30-10. to 10. Um, It was, this was damned impressive from ASU. Um, their defense has just seemingly decided it's going to be good now, I guess. Um, and offensively, they were fine. They ran the ball really, really well. Uh, Manny Wilkins uh, managed the game pretty well. But defensively, I mean, they forced turnovers. They played really sound against the run. Um, just kept Utah off the board for the entire first half, ground out 16 points, and then another 14 in the second half. And uh, that was pretty much all she wrote. Um uh, Utah was just not able to accomplish really anything offensively. I think Huntley's rust was considerable. Um, he just didn't look anything like the player we saw to start the season. Um, hopefully this kind of gets him back in a rhythm and he'll be ready to go for the next game. But ASU's defense and ASU in general are becoming quite the story in the Pac-12. Um, they look like a legit, legit South contender at this point. For sure. Um, we all got this one right. Uh, Utah was um, favored by nine and a half. And we all were like, really? Okay. Um, so I think that was right, right? That was. Am I incorrect in that line? It was like, honestly, it started out at like 11 or 10 and a half. Yeah. And I think moved to nine and a half. But we were all like, wait, Arizona State's the team that just beat the number five team in the country at home, and Utah's the team that lost on the road to a fringe top 25 team in USC. What, yeah. what are we missing? So Utah drops to one and three. Uh, not look, Like you said, Huntley did not look good. I, I actually texted you guys to see if I could maybe switch my pick, because I was like... You're still allowed. You're still allowed. Uh, I'm keeping it. So Huntley, obviously, uh, he looked worse than you know, we had seen him. Previous. He looked worse than Troy Williams has looked at any point this year. Oh, yeah, just bad. Um, Arizona State, you know, after giving up 30 points to how many games in a row was it? Like, they just given up 30 points to everybody. They yeah, it was like 13 games in a row or yeah. some craziness. So yeah. they've, they've given up 17 points in the last two games combined. And you're talking about playing 
Washington and Utah. You're not talking, you know, they didn't play like Oregon State or anything. Um, they hadn't won a conference road game. It's that they're, it was their 10th try. So their first win in 10 games. So pretty good uh, on that aspect. Utah's one and three for the first time in conference since 2013. So obviously not a good start to a team we thought would be competing for a Pac 12 South title. Um, I thought Arizona State, especially on offense, I mean, obviously they play so much better on defense, but. They, you know, they kept the ball. They converted eight of sixteen on third downs. I thought they were winning the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And you're talking about a really good Utah's got really good linemen, and Arizona State was able to dominate the line of scrimmage. And it just it was pretty clear who was going to win this. Like it, it didn't seem like this was going to be in doubt at all. You know, just Arizona State just looked they were, like they were the better football team. And uh, man, the, the turnaround. You talk about a guy that was on a hot seat before. And it's not like that's a pretty big turnaround. So, you know, uh, well, and if you're looking at it, ASU is just because of schedule remaining alone, they're probably the more likely of the two among the Arizona schools to actually win the South at this point. Not uh, quality of the team. Arizona is probably just a better team. But ASU gets USC at home, which is a winnable game. Colorado at home, which is a very winnable game. At UCLA, which is a winnable game. At Oregon State, which is a really winnable game. And then Arizona at home, which is a winnable game. Um, that's 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 a like. There's a not inconceivable chance they go five and zero down the stretch here. This is, I mean, when we were talking about ASU at the beginning of the year, we were saying, oh, in that stretch from San Diego State through whatever, like UCLA or Colorado, they might go one and seven. And instead, they're three and three through that stretch right now, and USC suddenly looks a little bit more paperish of a tiger. Um, Colorado looks like the eleventh best team in the Pac-12, and UCLA certainly has its own issues. So, yeah, this just goes to show you, preseason prognostications, especially ours, are <laughs> so bad, um, just so bad. The uh, the both uh, the North and the South, though, you have teams that are essentially controlling their own destiny, right? So you have yeah. Arizona, Arizona State, USC all still have to play each other, and they're the teams that have one loss. So yep. they'll play it out. Washington State, Washington, and Stanford, um, they all get to play each other. So it's going to be mean, a really I, fun finish, I think. And, you know, November is going to be awesome in the Pac-12. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so that was uh, Utah. We had number seven, our number six team. USC Trojans. <laughs> Our, our former, our former number one. Former number one. So Is six too high? Should we should we move them down? Six or? might be a little too high after this one. Uh, Notre Dame mollywopped USC forty nine fourteen. Wasn't that close? Uh, Notre Dame ran all over them. Uh, this was a twenty eight nothing game at halftime. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, there, so Notre Dame ran for 377 yards on 47 carries on, and five touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, Sam Darnold was, I, I mean, his number. What's weird is that nobody's counting like fumbles when they're talking about Darnold this year. But so he was 20 of 28 for 229 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and an interception. You'd look at that and you'd say, "Oh, he was fine." But he also had the fumble at the beginning of the game where it bounced off his face mask or whatever, and he then he couldn't get a hold on it, and it just, you know, that was a turnover. Um, I tweeted out a stat this week that he's turned the ball over more than 106 uh, football teams, which that is seems like a lot impressive. for one That's person. For one person, 
and he also got his ankle dinged up in this one, which might have been a re-injury. Um, but USC wasn't able to run the ball. Um, Notre Dame's got a good defense, um, so they weren't able to run the ball. But this just looked like a game where they were just completely outclassed at every level from like a coaching standpoint on down. Uh, I thought, like from a talent level standpoint, when you're looking at the two teams, you're like, what's happening here? Because USC looks you know, more athletically gifted than this team. What's what's the deal here? But I, I think this spoke to some, maybe some, some serious issues with USC's, especially on offense, but even defensively, this was, you can't stop the run at any level when you're giving up 377 yards. Yeah, it was bad. And uh, Brandon Winbush was running all over him. They had two guys go over 100 yards. Um, Josh Adams was spectacular. And he ran all over them last year when USC thumped them. Um, but you know, Winbush is, I've had people on my podcast, Dave, write in and like, he's like a, a quarterback with a Pop Warner arm. And uh, he was, at one point, he was two of six, but both of those passes he completed went for touchdowns. Um, yeah. He missed open guys. The, I, I would say for the, the looking at the overall body of work for USC, the offense has been seriously underperforming all year. You mentioned the turnovers, just turning the ball over like crazy. I think special teams have been bad, and they were both bad. Like uh, Those things held true. But the defense really was keeping them in games a lot of times, even when they – I mean, they turned the ball over a lot. Clancy Pendergast and their, their defense was able to – they've been really good at not allowing opponents to score off of those turnovers. So you could argue they have a lot of practice because that happens a lot. But Notre Dame was one of the best in the country on scoring. Like, I think they scored – the first 10 turnovers they forced, they, uh, they, they scored nine touchdowns off of that. Well, they went three for three, three touchdowns uh, off the three turnovers in this game. Um, now, one of them was inside, like, the 10-yard line, whatever, on a punt. But, but still, like, that was one of the things that's been USC saving grace. I thought the defense had kind of saved them and helped and helped mitigate the problems of the turnovers, and they just couldn't do it in this one. It just looked like they didn't show up. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of the players about what the rivalry meant to them going into it. I just didn't feel like there were these passionate answers. And you on the Notre Dame side, it just felt like, this was a rivalry. This was revenge. They you know, got beat last year. Um, it, it just felt like it meant a lot more. And yeah, they had a bye week and they had fall break, so they didn't have class all week. It just there was a lot of little factors that kind of pointed in Notre Dame's way too. But they showed up. They won the line of scrimmage and they pushed USC around. That that's the bottom line for me. Yeah, and yeah, I think I was reading T. Martin's quotes after the game, and oh. it just sounds like he doesn't. I don't know. He sounded like a guy without a real clue about what was going on because he was like, oh, we figured some things out in the second half. But, I mean, with a team as offensively talented as this USC team, to go in any half against any football team, to go fumble, punt, punt, missed field goal, interception, punt, end of half as your first half drive chart and score no points, that's just... No, that's bad. Yeah, I mean, you just can't have that. And they just don't... uh, like when I'm like trying to figure out what is what's their offensive identity or what is their game plan coming into a particular game. Like I, I mean, I watched a lot of USC games and I'm generally struck by oh, it's just kind of wait and see what Sam Darnold does, and he just hasn't been superhuman this year, and so you end up with results like this. I mean, yeah. It's just yeah. Is it it seemed like there's a yeah. sense of denial. Like there, you know, I I transcribed every word that T. Martin said. I was standing right in front of him, and people asking him like, "Well, why hasn't this team got better?" And he would say stuff like, "Well, we got better every we get better every week." It, you know, just certain aspects. And it was just like, I don't know what you're watching, but the, you can't 
you can't believe that you got better from last week to this week or any of those other. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. So I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think there's going to be – I got a lot of fans saying, hey, they're going to make a coaching change and blah, blah, blah. My guess is Clay Helton doesn't do anything different until they lose a Pac-12 game in the South. And then if – you know, because if you lose to Arizona State or you lose to Arizona, your likelihood of winning the conference goes way down. Um you know, I, I think that's when they might make some kind of shakeup. But until then, I don't, I don't think they're going to do anything different. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. It was. Uh, I took a red. I, I tweeted this. I took a red eye there. And uh, so, you know, that yeah. sucks. You know, red eyes kind of blow. Get there in the morning. Took a train to downtown. Then took an Uber to my buddy's place. Took a quick nap. We went to get deep dish pizza. Like fed ourselves. Drove a couple hours to South Bend. Uh, walked around, met some people at tailgates and took some pictures with people and all that stuff and go into the game. And I felt kind of like refreshed and rejuvenated, you know, and I felt like, hey, that's not easy traveling east. But and I'm like, I think I definitely feel better than what these guys look like. Like, I don't understand, like all that crap you go through. They just look like they were not ready to play. Not at all. Not at all. And Notre Dame's probably the best team they've played for sure. Um, but still. Yeah. That, that was that was disastrous. And how do they like so USC? Oh, so this was the only one I got wrong. Um, <laughs> you because and, you went against your instincts. I went against not my instincts, my rule. It was a rule. It wasn't even instincts. It yeah. was do not pick USC to cover. And because USC wasn't favored in this one, I thought, oh, you know, maybe they could still lose and cover the spread, but uh, not when you lose by three thousand or whatever it was. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Notre Dame was favored by three and a half, not 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 thirty five. They missed a decimal right. point. <laughs> there was a decimal point. There was a decimal uh, error here. <laughs> yeah, so there was a push, right? Is that what we're talking? Um, okay, yeah. if we I put the decimal point in the wrong push X ten the wrong place. So we uh, so yeah so four and one and four Kyle went four and one. You're still Dave. You are ten. You're you're thirty six and twenty six. So pretty good. Pretty damn good. I'm thirty three and twenty nine. So now we're both. Over 500 significantly, which is good. Now I just got to keep, uh, you know, I'm, I'm chopping into that little, uh, every week I've picked up a game. So that's One good. game at a time. One, One game, game at a time. time. So I'm, I'm on pace. I'm on pace to do it. So that'll be good. Okay. So uh, our number five team moved up. Arizona Wildcats. We already talked about them. Yeah. Uh, our number four team, they've been looking good, Dave. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> So good. So good. Uh, we talked about them. Uh, let's see. Number three team. Washington State Cougars. We talked about them. Yeah. They were, what did they say? Less, less pathetic. Was that Mike Leach's quote? Less so, pathetic. Less yeah. Pathetic. But, you know, getting the uh, nice win uh, over Colorado. Okay. Then our number two team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> the Huskies were also on a bye this week. They they look good on that buy. They look great. Saw they look yeah. great against that buy. Like, you probably need that buy after that ASU loss. Yeah. Do we need a Jake Browning joke here about how like he he threw the ball almost fifteen yards <laughs> in the buy or something? <laughs> he okay. needs to rest that arm after <laughs> after working the noodle out against uh, against ASU a little bit. Uh, we're just teasing with you Husky fans. Okay. Uh, and our number one team, Stanford Cardinals. And Stanford was also on a buy. So, yeah, this was a three-by week. I don't think we noted that enough in the preview, but, yeah, yeah three Pac-12 teams on a buy. Uh, and, and during the bye week, uh, David Shaw said K.J. Costello is definitely the starter going for No, I did, he didn't say that, but um, he should, right? 
He should. Those should be words that come out of his mouth. But instead, <laughs> we're going to get this two-party system for who knows how long. Yeah. It's going to be great. Okay. Well, okay. So now we're going to uh, preview all the games. We do have a Thursday game day we're going to talk about. First, it is... Stanford Cardinal. Going up to Corvallis to play... Oregon State Beavers. All right, 6 p.m. on Thursday on ESPN, number 20 Stanford, traveling to Oregon State to take on the Beavs. The suddenly, I'm going to call them the resurgent Beavs because they played well-ish in their last game against Colorado under interim coach Corey Hall. Um, Stanford is favored by 21 points, but this line has moved towards Oregon State. It opened at 23, uh, 23 and a half in some places, and now is 21 points. Um Again, it's a really interesting game to pick. Stanford is coming off a bye. Bryce Love was a little dinged up in their last game. Um, I think he's probably fine, but he did have a little bit of an ankle thing going on in the uh, last game. So that's something to keep in mind. And Oregon State played really, really hard against Colorado. Um, Ryan Nall was back and and healthy, and um, they looked like they had a plan. They looked like they were playing with effort. Um, this is a Thursday night game in Corvallis. You know, the students are going to be out. They're going to be rowdy, even though Oregon State's 1-6 and six and 0-4 in the league. <sighs> Stanford's offense is just a little too good for me. Um, uh, uh, I'm going back and forth. 21 points feels like a lot. But at the same time, Stanford's offense really does seem to be rolling. They've got, by advanced stats metrics, they're probably one of the best offenses in the country. I'll reluctantly pick Oregon State, plus 21. Really? Yeah, and I don't feel good about it. I could go literally either way on it, but 21 points feels like it's dead right to me. So my rule was I didn't want to pick Stanford to cover the rest of the year either. Mm-hmm. Um as I think I'm going to go with you on this, but I don't feel good about it. I feel like I feel like the Stanford offense has kind of turned the corner, but because they're still going back and forth with the quarterbacks and Oregon State, look like they're playing better. I mean, this is the number one team and the number twelve team. You know, there's there's couldn't, but as we know, the whole conference is kind of mediocre. It looks like right now. I'll take those points too. Um, Man, I just it's just hard to trust David Shaw teams with big point spreads. It's always hard. Um, I, you know, I think they'll win. I think they'll win easily. They, they, they let Oregon State back in. I, I felt the same thing with the, the Oregon game, too. But Oregon was just so bad they couldn't get back into the game, no matter what Stanford <laughs> did to try. Um, both teams off a of bye. I like the way Oregon State was playing uh, against Colorado. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you here and, and take Oregon State plus the points. And if you want to feel a little bit better about it now that we've both picked, um, Stanford's rushing defense um, is, in terms of yards per attempt allowed, is 103rd in the country, uh, 5.1 allowed. And I believe Oregon State's rushing offense is maybe the only decent part of this team. Um, they're Yeah, they're rushing for an average of 4.5 yards per attempt, which is comfortably in the 50s uh, nationally. So... With Ryan Nall back and healthy, um, Artavis Pierce doing his thing, um, I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball enough to generate a little bit of offense against Stanford. Stanford's defense hasn't been great this year. That 
And I, I'm never comfortable taking David Shaw with a huge spread because yeah. he's super comfortable just sitting on a 10 to 14 point lead in the second half. Yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into this. I'm feeling more comfortable with Oregon. State. Okay. Uh, and I, I really, when Nall was hurt, like uh, for USC, like Oregon State just looked awful. Um, yeah. Him being back, I think, is going to help a lot. So obviously, he looked good the, the last week, and we'll see. You know. Uh, with the bye week and all that stuff, uh, who knows what's going to happen. All right, so next up, we have California Golden Bears. They are traveling to Boulder to take on Colorado Buffaloes. So this is a non-conference special in terms of time. Uh, it's an 11 a.m. Pac-12 network kick. Uh, Cal, 4-4, four and four, going at Colorado, 4-4 four and four, in Boulder. Colorado's favored by three, um, which I guess feels right. Um, kind of doesn't actually, because what? on a neutral field, on a neutral field, I'm taking Cal like a hundred percent of the time. Um, and so, if you think the three points for home field advantage, that whole deal, God, I I I, I don't really get that. I think this looks more like a pick'em to me. Um, so I'm going to take Cal um, because Colorado's looked that bad. Um, and I think even at home, and it's it's a weird time, 11 a.m. I just I don't know how I feel about either team playing at that time, but Cal's looked like a more motivated team all year. Um, and defensively, they're they're decent. And uh, Colorado just has been such a mess offensively that I, I think I like Cal's offense against this defense, and, um, and I, I think I like their defense against this offense. So I'm going to take Cal outright, um, but I think they definitely cover the three. Yeah, I, I think Cal wins outright. Sure, I, if Cal was favored by like seven, I probably would take Cal. Like I don't, I don't get this line at all. I mean, Colorado didn't score. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the offense looked bad, like you said. Uh, yeah, I thought Cal would be favored by up to a touchdown or something. So the fact that I'm getting points and getting Cal, just slurp that up. That's a, that's a like lock of the week. If we don't, we don't even do we don't do that, but that would be my lock of the week. Please, please, please don't ever say slurp that up again. I never want to hear that out of your mouth again. That was that was violent. Fair. Fair. That's like using the word moist. I never want to hear that from you. I never want to hear any of this stuff from you. Yeah, uh, Cal, Cal's looked like a better team. They look like a more motivated team. This this feels like, because they're both 4-4 four and four and just kind of playing for a bowl game at this point, this feels like one of those games where it is essentially a bowl game and we're sitting here talking about which team is coming in with more motivation. And Cal's just looked 100% more like a a team with something to play for this year. Colorado looks like a team that's just, they haven't looked right all year. They haven't looked like a team that's like completely with it and ready to go. And um, yeah, I'm taking the bears. All right. Okay. So next up, uh, so these are, you know, those were the bottom teams of the conference. Next up we have UCLA Bruins and uh, they're going on the road. They're playing this team. I know you probably heard of them, Dave. Washington Huskies. Yes, yes, they're they're playing the Huskies. Uh, this is on at twelve thirty uh, p.m. It's the ABC ESPN two mirror game. Uh, most of you will likely get it on ABC. Uh, UCLA traveling to Seattle to take on number twelve Washington. The line opened at minus eighteen for Washington, and it has moved to minus seventeen. Um, it feels like a really properly set line. Um, UCLA, I, I want to say. Um, generally does pretty well as big dogs, um, mostly because it's a talented team that can get up for games on occasion. 
Um, and so I, I'm going to take UCLA in those points. Um, just I haven't been super confident in Washington's offense this year. And I think against a reasonably athletic defense um, that, um, at least in this last game against Oregon, showed some propensity for getting into the backfield and making some big plays. If they continue that in this game where they're attacking upfield, I think they'll disrupt the Washington offense enough um, that it won't just be, you know, a 56-point game for Washington. Um, I don't think – I think the UCLA defense is playing maybe – it's hard to say because they were going against the one-dimensional offense last week, so you kind of have to take all of that with a huge shaker of salt. But if they can continue that a little bit, I think they'll be a little bit better against this Washington offense. And then offensively, UCLA, it's it's going to be a challenge for them. Washington's defense is really, really good. Um, but Josh Rosen, that passing attack, I think they're going to score some points. Um, I've got this as like a you know, like a 34-24 type game. I think Washington wins, but I think it's more like a 10 to 14 point win. Interesting. I'm, I'm a little torn. Um, I, but you, I've been good. You see like covering for me. I've been pretty good when I'm picking them to cover. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards the UCLA and the 17 points. Um, obviously if Washington had a quarterback, like a Jake, like a Jake, Josh Rosen, um, that, you know, they'd win by a hundred or whatever, but you know, that, with Jake Browning, you know they'll they'll probably win by ten, but it's just not going to be able to. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, of course. Um, yes, I think UCLA, the run defense was playing better. I I think they're going to keep it close. I think you know it'll be a two touchdown sort of game that Washington wins, and uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it should be a comfortable win for Washington, but just not. Maybe that that full seventeen. It's a it's a lot. That's a lot of points. Um, it's a lot of points. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on. Uh, we have Utah Utes. Uh, they're going to be on the road taking on Oregon Ducks. Okay. This one's on at two forty five. Which okay um, on the Pac twelve Network. Utah four and three going at Oregon four and four. The last time Utah came to town, it was not a pretty result for Oregon. I think Utah scored something like 70 points. They probably won't do that this time. Um, Utah is currently favored by three and a half points over Oregon. Um, So this is all really dependent on Justin Herbert not playing. I'm going to assume he doesn't play, or if he does, he's very limited. Um, That's the rationale I'll go into this game with. Um, I'm I'm taking Utah minus whatever here um, because I, I saw Braxton Burmeister up close and personal last week. If he's playing in this game or if he is counted on to throw footballs in this game, um, it's just hard for me to see a situation where Utah loses. Um, I think Utah is probably going to bounce back. I think Tyler Huntley's probably due for a better performance after really stinking up the joint last week. And if he's not, I'm sure there's going to be a plan to bring in Troy Williams for the second half. Um, I think Utah should cover this relatively easily. Oregon without Justin Herbert with Braxton Burmeister and there looks like a bottom two or three team in the Pac-12. Um, like I would only count on them potentially winning against Colorado or Oregon State at this point. And Utah's better than that. I think Utah is still, I think they played maybe one of their worst games last week and I don't think they're due to do that again. I'd take Utah minus seven here um i think they win this by 10 points plus i'm gonna agree with you uh i do feel it's gonna be a bounce back i mean to get beat up on both lines like they did against arizona state i just think it's gonna be an overall 
better performance. I think you're going to see a better Tyler Huntley. Um, it's just it's rough coming in your first game back. And even if Herbert does come back, maybe we see something like we saw with Huntley where you're bringing someone back maybe a little early. They don't look as sharp. Um, I, I think I feel good even if Herbert comes back in this one just because he hasn't played for a while. Uh, you know, We'll see. But I, I think you're talking about getting your quarterback back. Utah, they were lucky to get it last week. They didn't play well. But I think it might help them for this week. So I think I agree. I would. I. I think Utah up to like a seven point favor or something. I would be taking them for sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. We got two more games. Uh, first up, we have Washington State Cougars. This should be good, Dave. Going on the road to take on Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, this should be a ton of fun. Uh, Six thirty p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Why? God, why is this? These game are weird up? game like- times this week. Yeah, weird game times and uh, yeah on the Pac-12 network. Uh, number fifteen, Washington State going at Arizona. I mean, this is a game between two legit division contenders. That's um, one of those games that we were talking about up top, up top, where it's um, you know a competitive th- game between two top six teams in the league. So um, I think the line it's been moving a little bit. Um, yeah, so right now, so it started out as uh, Washington State minus two and a half. It's moved to Washington State minus three. This is a really, really tough one. Um, Washington State's defense is maybe like the second or third best in the conference this year, um, but Arizona's offense since the insertion of Khalil Tate is, I think, far and away the best in the league. Um, and Washington State's offense has been sputtering of late. Arizona's defense has looked really competitive. I don't know at all which way to go on this one. I think both teams are well-designed to exploit some of the issues with the other team, but also it's going to be strength versus strength. That Khalil Tate-led offense versus this Washington State defense, who wins? Um, you know, Maybe Cal kind of designed a blueprint for containing Tate a little bit last week. And I realize I say that in a week where Arizona, where Khalil Tate still did win Offensive Player of the Week in the league, um, but he was contained a little bit, especially in the second half. Um, so maybe that's something that you know Washington State can take from that. Um, there, Washington State is generally a smaller, quicker defense, not necessarily big and bulky, which might play well as well against Arizona. Um, but I'm having a hard time betting against Tate, um, especially at home. Um, big night game against a ranked team. I think that crowd is going to be rowdy. Um, I think they're going to want to, you know, rush the field. I think there's going to be a lot of that element to it. Washington State's been a slightly different team on the road. So give me the Wildcats. I take them outright. Man, yeah. I was kind of hoping you'd go Washington State. I'm going there, too. I don't know if you know what happened a couple weeks ago, Dave, but Washington State and Cal played. Do you remember what happened there? <laughs> I do, I do. But please refresh my memory just so I make sure I have it right in my head. It was a curb stomping, okay? Arizona, like, that was, and, and Washington State won, correct? No, they did not. They were they did oh. not win. The, the other thing, right. with the opposite scored, of win. But they scored a lot of points, right? <laughs> no, they did not. It wait, was, wait, how many? Did they, they, they scored at least what twenty eight? <laughs> yeah. um, no, Dave. <laughs> Do you know how many points they scored? Oh, uh, three. Well, if not twenty eight, then it had to have been twenty one. It was. It was three. They scored three oh. points. Well then. Then that was against well, Cal. And we saw Arizona and Cal play on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the transitive property of sports always applies. It always works. Yeah. Um, transitive property, no. Uh, I think Washington State's playing better. 
I feel like that was an anomaly. That the cow game. I feel like they're playing less pathetic, like Mike Leach said. But Arizona is so on fire right now, and it's at. If this was at Washington State, I'd say one one way. But I just feel you're going to get points, and you got Arizona at home. Like it could be one of those weird close ones again. I'm just going to take the points. Uh, I, I kind of think Arizona's going to win outright, but you know, getting the three points, it it, it seals it for me. So I'm going to take Arizona too. Yeah, it seems like a no brainer. We're agreeing on everything, so we could be way, way, way wrong. So we'll see. We'll, and you know, and the good thing is, you know how I'm picking this last one. So we might agree on all the games um, because I'm, I'm following my rules from now on. But the uh, the last game, the nightcap, as you might want to say, is USC Trojans against the red hot Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> So this one kicks at 7.45 p.m., and it's a pivotal Pac-12 South game on ESPN. Number 21 USC, fresh off a shellacking at the hands of Notre Dame. Taking on ASU, which just beat Utah on the road by 20. Um, This game is in Tempe, and USC um, opened as four-point favorites. That has moved down to three points. Um, So this is approaching a pick for the odds makers not quite there yet but approaching it um if you gave me these two teams on a neutral field i would probably take usc no matter what um i think they're just a more talented team i think and i think in that sort of game it would just yeah i think that would just tell over a period of time and they would win it pretty comfortably on the road in tempe night game on espn um again same deal as arizona the the crowd's going to be super fired up usc has been shaky uh, this year, um, particularly on the road uh, at Notre Dame and, and at Washington State come to mind in particular. Um, and ASU is playing well, um, playing very well defensively right now and against T. Martin's offense. Um, that that does not strike me as a winning combination for the Trojans. Um, I think ASU can do enough offensively to... I, I think they can scrounge together, you know, 21 to 28 points. Um I don't think they're going to do to USC what Notre Dame did to them last week, um, which is just run all over them. But I think ASU is equipped to run the ball pretty well uh, with Demario Richard and Caleb Balage, um, and Manny Wilkins for that part. For that matter, um, I think you know he's a running quarterback who brings more as a thrower than Brandon Wimbush did to the table um, last week. So um, I like ASU to win here. Um, I think they're going to beat the Trojans. Um, and I think that could set up for uh, USC being in kind of a dire situation heading into the final few games of the Pac-12 schedule. Yeah, so my rule is they'll pick USC to cover. They're 1-7 against the spread. Getting points with ASU at home. Take those points. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say slurp up those moist points, but I don't think you want <laughs> Slurp up all them moist points. <laughs> Take the because you didn't want me to say those words anymore. So what, what, um, yeah, so I'll take ASU here. I think when you're looking at USC and the reason they're favored and stuff, there's just that that potential word. And yes, you could see Sam Darnold play like we've seen him play before. They don't turn the ball over. The defense plays better, and USC goes on the road and wins by like 21. Like if you told me that happened, I'm not going to be like that's shocking. Like you could yeah. see it, but. I don't think you can go with these games picking, expecting that to happen. Like that happened once, basically against Stanford, and the rest they've underperformed. So uh, it's just hard to 
feel that this team can go and, and play better? Because I don't think they're making any kind of big wholesale changes, Dave. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with you here. Now, we, we agreed on all six games, and I need to try to catch you. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll do a little text thing. We'll, we'll actually get Kyle to, to chime in, but I'm going to reserve the right to switch one of these at some point with your approval, if that's okay. I'll, I'll approve it, but only after the game begins. Okay. <laughs> um, so looking at USC's future schedule, just let's take a stroll down this, because this was looking easy like six games ago. Uh, but now, so they went at Notre Dame and lost. They're going at ASU. Are you picking a loss, or are you just picking them to cover? I, ca- I mean, it's not that many points. Um, let's pick that loss. Come on, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, okay, sure, I'll do that. All right, so they lose to ASU. Arizona at home, that rushing attack against this defense that just gave up 377 yards to Notre Dame, what are you thinking? That's, that could be a problem. Uh, that could be a big – it depends on what they do. If they win the game at, at, in Tempe, they could come home and get some momentum. But if they lose that one, it could spiral, you know. Let me let me go through disaster scenario with you for just one second. Okay. They lose at ASU. They lose at home to Arizona. Let's say they scrape one out on the road at Colorado and then lose to UCLA, a reeling UCLA team at that point. They'll probably be four and five. Um, or actually, they'll probably be – well, they could be five and f- five and five or four and six, but a, but a, but a not good UCLA team, and so that would put Clay Help this year at seven and five, in a year where he was expected to make the college football playoff or at the very least win the Pac-12. Um, what what does that mean? Like, what would that do uh, to help? Like, is that is that is that immediate hot seat and firing, or is that you, now you've got just such a short leash heading into next year? Well, it'd be very similar to what they did in 2011 um, when you know people were picking them to win a championship, and they went ended up seven and six. I think it might depend too on how they look in the bowl game because they they yep. lose in the bowl game and it's seven and six, it would be the exact you know <laughs> the exact record that they had. Uh, I think Lynch won. It's not. You know the new athletic director. It's not his guy. He didn't hire him. Um, I think he expects them to win the Pac-12, and uh, he wasn't even didn't seem all that happy they won the Rose Bowl, like because they didn't win the Pac-12. So I'm not sure. I don't think anything's off the table if something like that happens. That kind of uh, you finish one and three, um, you know, down the stretch. Yeah, I wouldn't. That could happen, Dave. Yeah, the shocking thing for me is that he, he, he – well, not the shocking thing, but the, the thing to keep in mind is he hasn't really won over the fans either. I mean, and the way they've won these games, like Western Michigan, they were tied in the fourth. Texas Texas looked like it was going to win that game at one point. Cal was tied at halftime and I think deep into the third quarter. Um, Utah could have won that game, um, missed on a two-point conversion to end it. Like there's a scenario where they're not six and two right now, where they're four and four. Yeah, heading to this this final four game stretch. So, yeah, not I mean, great. Even at the end of last year, like they just looked better. They were they were doing really well. They got better as the season went on, and they needed that kind of one and three hole. It seems like now they're playing like not to lose, and it's just not working. They need to make some kind of changes, and it's just yeah. So it's uh, I think about anything's on the table, Dave. Um, yeah. I'm curious, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a good time in uh, was it Mill Ave in uh, Tempe? That you know I'm gonna I actually don't have time to go out there, but when I go to Tempe, I usually like to go to that that area because it's fun. Get, 
just get drunk before the game. <laughs> it's a night game. I could. Yeah, I mean, you could you could get drunk in the day, you know, and then you know, kind of nap it off, and then you'll be ready for the game. So we're see. I'm going like what I really should do. I was going Saturday morning. I should really just go Friday, and then you could like get drunk Friday night. Now you're talking. Now yeah. you're really. Talking. But yeah, I don't know. I just got back from Chicago. It's uh it's rough. Uh, okay, so those are our picks. Uh, we'll try to get Kyle to chime in, too, and we'll put those all up on our website. And uh, I probably have to switch at least one so I can try to make up a game. But I, the fact that we agree on all of them scares me a little bit. Yeah, for sure. There are a couple that could go either way, but um, there's a couple that are just like, that line doesn't make any sense. And we're usually pretty good at those ones. Like last week, Washington State and Arizona State, you're just like, yeah, you feel pretty good about those. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, I feel pretty good about all these, even though they are close lines. Uh, I, I felt a little bit rougher about last week. Okay. Um, all right. Um, questions. Should we get into these? All right. Um, I'm trying to figure out where we left off last week. Did we get to the Jacob Eason question last week? Do you remember this one? I don't remember that one, so maybe that was the first one. All right. So uh, this is from Devin. With Jacob Eason being leapfrogged by Jacob Fromm at Georgia, do you think Eason could end up back in the West Coast in the Pac-12? Mainly, I'm asking about UW. He could would sit out Jake Browning's senior year and start 2019 Go Dogs. I wouldn't rule it out. I remember talking to him when he was a recruit, and he got locked up to Georgia pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't seem like he had any interest in even looking around. But usually when, when guys... So when guys go to the SEC from the West Coast, or I mean, look at Blake Barnett. Um, he he went to Alabama, it didn't work out, and then he ended up back in the West. Um, you'll often see that with guys who you know go abroad, <laughs> or go you know go to the Midwest or go to the South from the West Coast. If it doesn't work out pretty quickly, they end up back home. It's not like they end up transferring to Penn State after that. They they go back home, and so. Yeah, I think if Eason does end up transferring out of Georgia, we'll see what happens with Fromm the rest of the year, but he certainly looks like he might be the guy there. Um, yeah, I could totally see a transfer back to UW. Um, I don't know if that'll fit into Chris Peterson's plans because he definitely has a particular type he's looking for at basically every position. Um, but I could totally see that. I don't know. Do you have any insight into this? I, yeah, I could see him coming home. It just hasn't really worked out like SEC players like coming back to the Pac-12. Like who's – is it anyone like – like Blake Barnett, or I mean, it just really hasn't had a huge impact. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if him coming back would have much of an impact, but I could, I could see him doing it. Yeah, it's always weird um, the transfer thing. I mean, but he's a special case because he was starting, and then he got hurt, and then the guy behind him just ended up playing really well. Yeah. Uh, so it's not the Blake Barnett situation where I think he might have played a game. He started the <laughs> first game, right? Yeah. And then... Yeah, he started the first game, but looked so bad that he got replaced. Um, that you know that's that's an issue of performance i don't think jacob Moore's eason performed poorly i think he just got leapfrogged by injury and they're not going to change horses you know midstream that that whole deal so you know he's a he's a player with some talent obviously um and so yeah i i, I think he's the he's the exception where he would actually help a team that he transferred into um so yeah i i think that's completely on the table um i think that's something to watch for this offseason for sure all right, uh, we'll go, I guess Anthony is next. He said, hey, Ryan and Dave, if Alabama and Georgia both go undefeated entering the SEC championship game, does the loser of the game belong in the playoff? Would a one or two loss Pac-12 champion in this scenario make the playoff? What do you think 
of uh, Navy head coach Ken, and it's – do you know how to pronounce his name? Not really. Nayuma Talolo? I think so, yeah. Nayuma Talolo? Or Bronco, right. or Bronco Mendenhall, Virginia's head coach, as possible candidates for the Oregon State head coach opening. Um, I, You know, I always felt like that the, the SEC championship loser wouldn't go. Like, if you could be like Ohio State last year and you just didn't make it, I think it's harder to put the the loser of the championship game in there, but um, especially because the whole other SEC is down. But the way right now with the Pac-12, Notre Dame's win over USC is huge. Um, you know, Stanford losing to San Diego State, like they could. Win. I mean, the the Pac-12 could really just eat its, you know, eat its young right now. It's going to be tough, um, you know. And for Washington, I, I don't know either of those teams. Like it's not they don't eat, they don't have good losses. And they don't have a lot of great wins. You want to look at the great wins. Um, they're just not really there. So I think it's going to be tough. But I, I hate the scenario of uh, the championship game loser making the playoff. What do you think, Dave? I think if the Pac-12 championship champion is a one-loss team, so that means if it's Washington or Washington State, I would still think they would make it over an SEC championship game loser just because... I don't know that they would love the optics of putting in two SEC teams over a conference champion that only has one loss just because. And honestly, Washington's non-conference schedule is starting to look a little bit better. Um, Rutgers is looking like a little bit more of a competitive team in the Big Ten. Fresno State just beat San Diego State. They look like they could win the Mountain West. So those two games are suddenly looking not like the complete jokes that we thought they were. And it's, I mean, now it speaks to why Washington maybe didn't look as dominant in those games as you might have expected. Um, so I, I think a one-loss Washington should still beat out like a Georgia that's one loss. Um, I think an Alabama that's one loss would actually be tougher just from the name cachet alone. But um, I don't know that the playoff committee is going to want to have a rematch of those two teams in a potential playoff. Um, and I think all that stuff's got to play into it. I think there's politics that plays into it, but I still have a really hard time seeing a one-loss Pac-12 championship champion being left out. That just seems like it would be uh, too much of a slap in the face of the conference. I just don't see it. As far as the coaches go, I don't see Bronco Mendenhall coming out to Oregon State, but like a Ken, Nui uh, Matalolo. Nahu Matalolo. Nahu Matalolo. Um, I think there's a possibility of that. Uh, it, I think it would be fun to see them because you, you could run – like. You, some of the service academy stuff and you start running like the triple option to make it more of a uh you know to even the level of playing field a little bit so i thought that would be interesting yeah i i i'm totally down with that i think i mentioned a couple weeks ago on the podcast that i think that'd be fun to see oregon state try to do something a little bit different instead of trying to go the you know we're just going to be disciplined and we're going to play you know try to do something gimmicky whatever i mean oregon state i mean i think they can recruit uh you know, I think in an ideal world, they can recruit decent level talent. I don't think they're ever going to be competing with Oregon at this stage with all the Nike money. I don't think they're going to be competing with the L.A. schools at any point in their history. They're not going to be competing with Washington, but could they recruit as well as Washington State? Washington State's running a gimmick. I mean, it's an air raid scheme that, you know, they throw the ball 60 times a game when they want to. Um, and it's gotten now. I don't want to offend Washington State fans. It's gotten much less gimmicky over the last couple of years, but that's what they started with. And I think for Oregon State, you start with something like that. You start with something like the triple option or whatever you want to do. Um, you know, do something a little funky. Do something that nobody else is doing. Um, get Troy Calhoun or get Ken Nayo 
Matalolo um, and and do something a little bit different because if you just keep trying to do the same stuff, if you try to do what you know Gary Anderson was bringing to the table, um, it's a long road to respectability. But look at what Purdue did this year. You know they brought in Jeff Brom. They're doing a spreadish attack that's just different from what everyone else is doing in the Big Ten, and they've won three games um, at Purdue. That's a big deal. Um, and Oregon State, um, I think, has even more potential as a program than Purdue does. Um, so do something a little bit different. Um, stop trying to, you know, like, if, don't hire less miles or whatever. Hire somebody who runs a scheme that can give you a competitive advantage with a little bit less talent, and then you'll turn into, you know, a team that nobody wants to play. A team that's like, ah, oh, we've got to prepare for the triple option against Oregon State, or whatever scheme you just decide to do, but it just gives teams something different to prepare for, and when you've got that something different, it gives you a different type of recruit that you're going after, too. So you're, you're not having to do all the same stuff that the other schools are doing just at an inferior level. You can just do something different. Um, and I think that could be interesting in Corvallis. Uh, I think so, too. So that'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be watching that one as the coaching search rolls on, uh, probably during the offseason. We'll see what that happens. Um, Blake wanted to know about the, uh, the podcast being on Google Play. I kind of thought we were, but I'll, I'll look, let me look into it, Blake, and see. Um, I'll check with the audio boom people where they host, but do you, uh, I, I'm, I'm usually using it on iTunes. I don't know. Do you do it on Google play, Dave? No, I've, I've got iPhones. So I'm doing it on iTunes. So, uh, but we can look into that. Yeah. I actually have, I mean, I don't have, uh, I have like an Android phone, but I just, the podcasting app I have, I think it just searches on iTunes, but I'll, uh, we'll look into that for you. Sorry about that, Blake. And then, uh, we've got a question from Alex in NYC. Uh, hello, Dave. The Beast now in the East. And Ryan, whom, unlike Pete Carroll, I don't wish you get shingles. <laughs> nice. That's good. Uh, I got that going remember, for me. Remember the Oregon State QB who couldn't throw left? Is Oregon's QB someone who shouldn't throw, like, ever? <laughs> Why did Oregon waste 15 plays on him throwing? I'm right there with you. Um, unlike John Wilner, who isn't. Or Ryan. Um I'd like to point out that UCLA finally forced some turnovers in a game and the defense got off the field more. How about that? How about that? Speaking of movable object versus stoppable force, will Darnold have all the turnovers against UCLA or none? Whew. That's a good question. Um, I mean, so many of Darnold's turnovers have just been unforced fumbles. Yeah. I mean, he's had five fumbles, and I would say like only one of them was actually based off of a hit. I mean, he's had just fumbles where it's just slipping out of his fingers. So, I'm going to say he has at least one. I mean, the odds would be against us not picking at least one. Yeah, you put the over under at like one and a half. Yeah, I think I'd take the over there. I think I'd go with two. Okay. So, uh, finally, my friends want to know if at some point it becomes depressing for uh, to keep to keep hyping up Beban when the majority of the fan base never saw him play or can recall a favorite moment of his career. Is it a sad reminder of UCLA's present? So for those of you who don't know, Gary Beeman is UCLA's lone Heisman winner, um, I believe in 1967. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, uh, I don't think anybody's out there hyping up a guy who won the Heisman uh, 50 years ago. Um, But I think it is maybe a testament of how underachieving UCLA has been that they only have one Heisman winner of all time. And that they've only won one national championship ever, and it was a you know a split national championship in 1954. So, 
yeah, I think that all speaks to um, the way UCLA's program has underachieved over the last, you know, 50 years. Um, you know, this was a program that in the Red Sanders era was looking like a national model for football um, and has not approached that really in the last 30 or 40 years. So, um, well, I was yeah, driving down Sunset Boulevard and I saw a couple of Gary Beaven billboards. So, I think they're, I don't know what they're doing. They're promoting something. I think it's for the 50th. <laughs> anniversary of his height. I'm kidding. I honestly think it might be. It was like 67, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was just kidding, though. I did not. Oh, you're not seeing I did not drive down. I just that on its face because I'm so desperate to hear anything about Los Angeles and California that I'm like, oh, yeah, that seems like a thing that happens in paradise. Yes. sit here Atlanta. Um, And then uh, finally, bonus, as a radiology resident, I couldn't stop laughing at Oregon having a player named Throckmorton. Look up what that is. Enjoy. Let's look up what Throckmorton is. You ready for this? Sure, yeah. Tell me what it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Throckmorton. The power of the interwebs. Um, Throckmorton's reflex <laughs> is, uh, is a sign of the pelvis. Um, it's where the pelvis is pointing in a certain direction. Um so refers to when the penis points in the direction of unilateral disease, typically of the pelvis or hip. Throckmorton sign is a slang term used jokingly by medical students and residents. Uh-huh. So it's a dick joke. Nice. That's, that's what it's about. You got a penis joke. Well, thanks. Good stuff from Alex. Uh, we got another Alex. Um, this one's not New York, though. This one's in Pasadena. He said, let's try to stay positive here. The conference is, quote unquote, competitive. So now on to my question. What's been the best surprise of the season so far? Cal's competitiveness, Arizona's running attack, or keep up the great work, two-hour podcast fan, Alex from Pasadena. Um, I would go, I mean, those are the two good ones for me. I mean, the fact that Cal has been this competitive, um, you know, a couple of the best wins, the out-of-conference wins the conference has coming from a rookie head coach. Uh, but, you know, Khalil Tate probably wins it for me. It's not just Arizona's running tag. It's not. It's it's Khalil Tate. So I would I would probably pick Khalil Tate. Yeah, it's a hundred percent Khalil Tate. I mean, he's a guy who, if he does what he's doing over the last, uh, whatever, how many more games do they have? Five games of the year. If he continues to play at this level, he could be in the Heisman contention. And he barely played in the first four games. Um, I mean, he has. Uh, I think it's almost seven hundred yards rushing in basically three games. I mean think about that yeah. i mean if, if if bryce love and khalil tate continue to play at this level over the final five six games of the season they should both be in new york for the heisman ceremony yeah. i mean it's just as simple as that so yeah um khalil tate's probably my biggest surprise bryce love is probably my second biggest i know we're not talking about him enough but and he didn't play last week but he's averaging like 10 yards a carry himself what is going on out here these two guys are both just running over everybody so those are probably my two biggest surprises, and it's not like a surprise that Bryce Love is good. It's a surprise that he's this good, that he's eclipsing what Christian McCaffrey ever did on the ground. Yeah. It's stunning to watch. So. Crazy. And then uh, we got a rundown from Nick, which I'll read. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick, 21, USC from the P, Oregon 14 versus UCLA 31. Good win by UCLA in the Rose Bowl against a bad Oregon team. UCLA might go bowling as well as save Jim Moron. I think I think he meant Mora. He's Typos. Moron. Typos. Uh, Jim Mora, Mora's job. 
Uh, Rosen is the best QB in the conference. Too bad he doesn't have a great O-line or running game, or maybe he would make it to New York at the end of the year. Then again, he still might make it back to New York next year. LOL, Giants. ASU 30 versus Utah 10. Who would have seen this? ASU beating the living crap out of Utah in Utah. Utah is bad. ASU Todd Graham might not be on the hot seat after all. Utah is struggling. Oregon State, I mean USC 14 versus Notre Dame 49. I'm glad he corrected himself because he mistakenly wrote that it was Oregon <laughs> State lost by 35 points to Notre Dame, but instead it was actually USC. Yes. Um, wow, USC made Notre Dame look like the best Alabama team who Nick Saban has coached, and USC played like we were the Beavers. And that's how you get a 35-point blowout, and Notre Dame kind of let up, thank God, to not embarrass USC worse. Coach Helton, is he on the hot seat? We say maybe, sort of. I mean, it depends on how the rest of the season goes, but kind of, yeah, yeah, right? Yep. Arizona 45 versus Cal 44, high-scoring game that went back and forth. Let me just call it K-Tate for Offensive Player of the Year. He has done everything for Arizona to win the Pac-12 South and deserves it and worked for it like like S. <laughs> I, I think we might have missed a word there. And if it comes down to ASU versus Arizona for the Pac-12 South, I'm taking Arizona for K-Tate. You're not going to get an argument here. Uh, Colorado 0 versus Washington State 28. Washington State shut out Colorado after that bad loss to Cal. Colorado is the worst team in the division, as they have been in the Pac-12 early years. Washington State will beat Stanford, calling it now. That was a typo, right? Colorado scored something. That wasn't zero, was it? No, no, no. Um, I've I've checked the records, and they scored uh, zero points. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Questions. Number one. Does any Pac-12 school make the playoffs? I'm guessing no right now. I think they everyone there's like a two loss team or something's going to win. It's just I, I my guess is no. But what do you think? Uh, I will say no because there's uh, maybe a little bit under a fifty percent chance that the Pac-12 South team wins the conference, and there isn't a Pac-12 South team with only one loss at this point. So um, factor that in. Factor the fact that Stanford, Washington State, and Washington all still have to play each other, and each of them already has at least one loss. Um, the odds of a one-loss Pac-12 victor seem extremely slim. So, yeah, with a two-loss Pac-12 championship, I think champion, I think uh, the Pac-12 will be shut out. Um, two, why is it the Pac-12 North is better than the South from day one to now? What will it take to change that? <coughs> Coaching. Um, sorry, I, I coughed. <laughs> um, Pac-12 North has hired better coaches. Um, yes. Chris Peterson, uh, Mike Leach, and David Shaw are better than well everybody in the south pretty much anybody in the south um i think kyle whittingham's working at a disadvantage at utah i think he's a really good coach um i think both of the arizona guys are uh decent um but i think both la schools haven't really been dealing with a, a a bevy of riches at the coaching positions um and uh, Colorado, Mike McIntyre has done a decent enough job, but I don't think anybody who compares to those top three in the North, right? No, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, so that's that's what it is, and I think it it takes. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I hate to call for people's jobs in, in in mass here, but I think it takes coaching changes to change that. So everyone in the uh, South fire their coach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sort of. Um, three, if you were an AD, you give two to three names of coaches you would hire for your university. That's a sleeper pick to be a great coach because of the high-profile gigs of this conference. No Pac-12 school will get Saban or Meyer. Mines would be Gary Patterson and Justin Fuente. Thoughts? 
Um, I think Fuente would be a better fix. I, Patterson, I just don't see him. Yeah. I don't. It just doesn't seem like a West Coast dude. Uh, isn't isn't all of his like compensation tied up in like oil money too? Yeah, like, I, think, I, don't, I don't know that he's ever leaving TCU. Yeah. Um, Justin Fuente just moved to Virginia Tech, and I don't know that he'd necessarily want to bounce out west. Um, I want to see Chip Kelly come. I want to see him come back to somewhere. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Mike Norvell return to the Pac-12. He's doing a nice job at Memphis, second year. Um, I think he'd be a good hire for a for a team out here. I'd love to see Scott Frost. Scott go Frost, back, that'd be awesome. Go back to somewhere in the Pac-12, but it sounds like he's um, probably in line for Nebraska. Um, Jeff Brom, the Purdue coach, I mean, he doesn't have any roots out here at all, but um, I think he'd be a lot of fun out here. Um, I think there's a lot of good young coaches, to, or not even young, but just a lot of good coaches who are not necessarily uh, top of the radar right now who would be uh, really good out here. So, um, Who's the, I don't, the, guy, the guy at Iowa State? Um, he's doing um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Iowa State head coach. Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, yeah. Yeah, he's doing a nice job. He's probably not long for Ames. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of good guys. Um, I mean, looking at it now, I, I don't even know who's going to be fired in the Pac-12. I mean, we know Oregon State will be looking for a job, for a, for a hire. Um, Washington's both look safe. Oregon looks safe. Stanford and Cal both look safe. Um, Colorado, I don't think so. But if it really gets out from under Mike McIntyre, I wouldn't be surprised with all the offseason stuff, too. Like, I wouldn't be stunned if that happened. It's one yeah. of those that I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense in retrospect. It could probably not, but it could. Yeah. Um, I mean, USC, Utah, same thing. Probably not, but it could. Yeah, I think I think UCLA might be the the hottest non-open job at this point, and even that, I'm not – I don't think that's – if I had to bet on it right now, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, probably um, not. I think they're going to go 6-6-ish, six and six -ish, um, and that's probably enough to save Jim Mora's job, but – um, yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's going to be all that many openings now that both of the Arizona schools look like they're um, much more competitive. More yeah. Decent. Yeah. So. All right. We got one from Christopher. Thanks, Nick, for all those. Uh, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I'm a regular listener, and I'm relieved to hear you doing the podcast like you used to at the start of the season. The way you structured the content was clunky, and I could not understand why. Good job. Well, thank the you. The reason we structured it that way is because we're morons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we are. ASU magically put a defense together on the bye week before Washington, and for the first time in a while, ASU is starting to look good. I wonder what voodoo witchcraft Todd Graham sold his soul to. Overnight, our defense went from non-existent to decent. It, it's be beyond decent, by the way. It's uh, very, very good. Uh, and it was non-existent before. As a Sun Devil fan, I almost, uh, I, I almost don't want to get hopeful. They tend to let you down if you get too close. I imagine that's what it's like to have a drug addict relative. That being said, uh, what do you think about ASU's chances of winning the South? Four weeks ago, the discussion was how long will Todd have left until he's canned, and now I'm pretty sure he is safe. With the, how strong ASU's schedule has been, do you think they are a contender for the South or just exposing teams that were not that good and our recent wins are too soon to tell? Uh, go Devils. That's from Christopher. And No, I mean, I, I think they're a legit contender. They could be the favorite in the South at this point. Obviously, the, the USC game on, on Saturday night's huge. Uh, but you get that win, I, I feel pretty good about ASU's chances, even going up against uh, Khalil Tate in Arizona. I think if they win on Saturday, they're the favorite um, because they'll have the they'll have the game lead on, a, on USC, and they'll also have the tie break. So um, USC won't 
really threaten them too much. And and Arizona's got a tougher schedule than the year. So I think ASU, I think they would still probably have to win that head-to-head with Arizona to close out the year, but they get it at home. Um, so I think that's a winnable game. But, uh, yeah, if you look at the remaining schedules, as long as they win this one at home against USC, because USC still does have a, I mean, not a super easy slate, but they get uh, both Arizona's, which will be tough, but they get Arizona at home. Um, Colorado on the road is starting to look like a much more winnable game than it even looked like four games ago. And that's not because the USC is playing well. That's because Colorado is playing so poorly. And UCLA to end the year. So USC doesn't have much more than – I mean, we just talked about a scenario where they go 7-5, and five, which is on the table. But if you're realistically assessing it, they're at worst looking like a 2-2 two and two team in like a real-world situation um, down the stretch. So – you know, you gotta you gotta account for that. So if you, you, you basically this weekend is a must win to win the South. But once you do that, um, I think it's I think they're the favorite. Yeah. Um, we got Zach. You want me to read it? Do you want to read it or? I'll read Zach, I'll read Zach. Okay. Uh, hey Ryan and Dave, let's play. What happens first? Who is not coaching at their respective school first? Mora or Helton? Oh crap! I want me to go first. I'll go first. Yeah. Helton. Really. Because I think I think Moore survives this year, and UCLA is not the type to fire a guy um, to start a year. But we know that USC has a history of doing that thing. Let's look at what USC has to start the year next year. What's their non-con looking like? Let me pull it up. I, I, I kind of don't feel that they're going to fire this one midseason because that's what they've been doing. So it's like, it just really, I mean, USC would need to collapse to fire him now. It. <sighs> But I don't think I don't think Mora's getting fired now either. So I think there's a higher chance that Helton gets fired after this year than Mora at this point. That's what I'm kind of thinking. And so you add those odds in. You add also the odds that Helton could get fired, you know, four or five games into the next season. Whereas I don't think UCLA, I don't think they've ever fired a guy midway through a season. I think they always let him complete it. So you factor those odds in. I think Helton doesn't last as long as Mora, which is shocking, which is a shocking thing that you would have told me that at the beginning of the year, but um, it feels kind of right right now. And just so we're all aware, um, USC does have to go at Texas next year on September 15th. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a full Herman at that point. That's, that's year two of Tom Herman at Texas. They're going to be really good and really tough to play. And uh, that's not going to end well. So, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Helton there. All right, so next one, um, same question as above: Shaw or Peterson? So basically, you're asking us which one dies first. Yeah, <laughs> neither are getting fired. Um, I would say Shaw just because there's more of a chance that like he goes to an NFL team at some point. Yeah, and he might get bored earlier. Peterson doesn't look like an NFL coach. He doesn't sound no. like an NFL coach. He doesn't sound like a guy who wants to coach in the no. NFL. Shaw, I could see just, oh, uh, yeah. winning the Pac-12 again and again and again. Oh, this is getting a little boring. Let me see if I can figure out something else to do. He does the draft yeah. stuff. Like, I could see him going, like, potentially at some point. Yeah. Well, and David Shaw's still pretty young, too. I want to say he's only yeah, he's only 45. He feels like he's been here forever. He's only 45. Like, he's got a lot of coaching life ahead of him. I can't see him spending the next, you know, 20-ish years at Stanford. I, I see him moving on at some point. Whereas Chris Peterson's 53. You know, I could see him spending the next decade at Washington and retiring up there. That doesn't seem out of the question. So, yeah, give me Shaw there. Okay. Um, all right. Does UCLA beat Stanford first, or does USC win the Pac-12? It, it looks like it was 
you see dollar sign or something or like oh right right sorry 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 I I must have missed this he, I think he wrote dollar sign UC so I think that is that one I mean, of the new I, UC if schools or? if I'm translating the dollar sign to a letter I'm the, I'm pronouncing that suck <laughs> I'm not sure that, that that doesn't look right so I I think he meant USC but okay. um, did UCLA beat Stanford first or does <clears throat> USC win the Pac-12 USC wins the Pac-12. They could yeah. do that this year, where Stanford can't Stanford can't lose right. to UCLA. This year. UC, yeah, UCLA can never beat Stanford. <laughs> um, a Pac-12 school wins the national championship, or every coach in the conference turns over. Okay, so this is now we're really testing that Shaw Peterson thing right. up top, right? Because they're so Peterson we're saying is there till retirement, basically. So sixty-five ish. So that's twelve years of Chris Peterson at Washington. Um, in that time, no one's going to win the – no, no. A Pac-12 school is going to win the national yeah. championship in the next 12 years. I will say – same thing. I'll take that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Darnold leaves U.S. – again, he misspelled USC, but then <laughs> I'll explain the UC. Uh, but anyway, Darnold leaves USC or they have a replacement for Darnold that can throw a spiral more than 15 yards. Wait, is Jake, Jake Browning did. transferring or what was the <laughs> – uh, Well, if, if anybody watched um, – uh, Matt Fink in this game. Um, I wouldn't say it was not a spiral, but he threw a deep ball that was maybe one of the worst deep balls I've ever seen in my life. Did you see that one? Yeah, it the wasn't that he good. He it downfield and it went like, it not only didn't go anywhere near the receiver, it didn't go anywhere near anybody. Like, it was such a badly thrown ball that it wasn't even like, there wasn't even a threat to pick it because their defenders weren't even anywhere close to where he was intending to throw the ball. It was incredible to see. Yeah, he he can run, uh, he can run well. Yeah, but the the, the throwing part that's uh, yeah. So so what was the question with Darnold leaves or yeah Darnold leaves USC first or they have a replacement for Darnold that can throw a spiral more than fifteen yards. Uh, I will say the replacement because Jack Sears already can. Yeah, Jack Sears he can. They have him, um, and they might still get a guy for two thousand eighteen. They got JT Daniels coming at 19. He can definitely throw, so I'll go with that. Yeah, me too. All right. Good stuff from Zach. Um, I think Brian... Oh, are these... Uh, let's see. Okay, I think... Oh, this is a different one? Okay, Brian of Walnut Creek. He said, I have a two-parter. I'm a lifelong USC fan, a recent Oregon State alum. First for USC, any chance if T. Martin were hypothetically let go, please, God, make this happen. Could you see Clay making a call to someone like... Greg Roman, who is currently just a tight end coach in the NFL, and has coordinated some of the best running attacks in recent NFL memory, along with his work at, with Harbaugh at Stanford. Could this work? Or is Clay firmly a spread system guy? Um, I kind of think he's a spread system guy. I think if T. Martin does go somewhere, for whatever reason, his brother likely just moves over and starts calling the play. So, yeah, I, that seems like a long shot to me. But I don't know if you have any thoughts, Dave. Yeah, I'm kind of how married is clay to the spread because i want to say when he was just the oc they worked in a lot more pro style stuff and like it wasn't as much spreadiness am i completely misremembering no no there was but it's just like it it's never i've he's i think when you want an offensive coordinator you want someone that's have that kind of has their own system or learn from a guru of that system you know if they come from a leech tree or chip chip whatever it is and i think 
you know, it seems like Clay's kind of learned from some people, but no one that was ever like a guru, you know. And like Steve, he was a worked under Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, and they didn't, they weren't like spread gurus, but they started to do that kind of stuff because it was like the hot hip thing. But I don't think they ever worked for anyone that was some guru that was teaching them that stuff. So I don't know if he's married to it, but it seems like that's what they he wants to run. Uh, but I just don't think he's ever, you know, T. Martin this is the first time he's ever calling plays. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't see anyone that's an offensive guru. Um, if they hire someone, probably not someone like Greg Roman, someone that comes from one of those spread trees that, you know, you've learned from and and – and I've uh, taken it to another level. In- innovator, like someone that's an innovator. I don't think they have anyone on staff that's like an innovator right now. What was the last like real true dual threat that USC had at quarterback? Like, have they had one who's like, and I know Darnold can move, but like somebody who's like a real like, because if you're going to run this kind of spready system, it helps to have somebody who can actually, you know, run the ball too at the quarterback position i mean donald's been good at it he's he's had you know some really good runs he's been the most athletic i think mark sanchez was fairly athletic but certainly not they weren't running a a kind of spread thing they weren't doing a lot of zone reads and stuff um i mean like rodney pete we mentioned already he's he was a guy that like three uh um pac-12 player of the weeks in a row um you know he was pretty athletic They've, they've had some guys but for the most part you know, not really. It's not really been like a staple of what. It's more like the Carson Palmer types, where they're the big, strong-armed quarterbacks. Yeah, and so Darnold, as a freshman last year, ran the ball sixty-two times for two hundred and fifty yards and four. Uh, so four yards per carry. This year, forty-six attempts for nineteen yards, so point four yards per carry. So yeah, that's bad. That's, There's been a lot more sacks this year. He's had a lot of sacks. Where last year he didn't get sacked very often. So yeah, that's true. But anyway. Okay. Well, interesting. And they said, and then uh, for Oregon State, I think when looking at potential options for coaches, Ken Neo Matalolo, is that right? Yeah, sure. At, that was great. Sure, I loved it. At Navy would be interesting. I think a triple auction can win in the Pac 12, just like it has at Navy and Georgia Tech and the ACC. Oregon State is frankly uh, similar to Navy in that we can't recruit with anyone. And I think Ken could build a team. Uh, that is fundamentally sound enough and that would at least compete. I just want to not lose by four scores every week. I know it's not going to happen, but what would your thoughts be if it did? Uh, thanks for all the work you do on the podcast. Fight on and go Beavers. Brian from Walnut Creek. I think we already answered that one. Yeah. Uh, I think, we think it would be good. I'd love it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian, for that. And uh, yeah, go Beavers. Hopefully, I think we both picked them to cover this week, right? Is that right? I think we did. Is that right? I was like, <laughs> did I pick Oregon State? Right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Some for Bobby. You ready for this? Sure. Sign stealing narrative. Hey, Ryan and David. I, a Sun Devil fan, have a couple of thoughts about the sign stealing controversy that Coach Whittingham and Utah have rehashed. One, unless you're breaking the rules by using recording devices or illegally watching practices or something, sign stealing is perfectly legal. Mike Leach accused ASU of having a command center where they record signals a couple of years ago without any proof and got fined for it. Two, number one is a moot point because ASU no longer signals audibles in from the sidelines and the NCAA does not allow helmet headsets. How can the coaches communicate to the players what the signs are if they can't use either of those two methods? To me, it sounds more like sour grapes than anything else. I think the whole sheet thing Utah was using on the sideline ended up being more of a distraction and detriment to Utah than ASU. Three, ASU versus USC could determine the Pac-12 South champion. 
I can't believe I'm saying that. Go Devils. Thanks, Bobby. So no real question in there. I kind of agree with him. Um, I think it is sour grapes. I thought it was kind of sour grapes when they were stealing signs with the Mike Leach stuff. I think it's, but I think you do open yourself up to it when it is like an issue in a game, like it was. Um, and so I think they're going to have to deal with you know teams maybe looking at them a little bit askance um, as long as Todd Graham is there. Um, but. I think it's overblown. I think it is um, something that teams can pull out when they lose by 20 points at home um, because their quarterback threw four picks. Like, I don't know if that's sign stealing or just your quarterback super rusty. Yeah. So I think it's overblown. I, I agree with you there. Um, and, you know, everyone's got these systems of what they're doing. And if you don't switch them up and you're, you know, and it's easy for someone to kind of, you know, it's like if you're playing poker and you hold your cards out and I can see them, like, is that stealing or is that you just being an idiot? You know, so I'm not saying that you know Utah was being idiots about this, but I think at that point it's like eh, I'm not. That seems more sour grape stuff to me. Yeah, I agree. So the final question is one for me. Should okay. Yeah, you go ahead. Uh, question for Dave on USC versus UCLA Scout two four seven website posts. This is from Stephen. Uh, Dave, can you explain why subscribers on the Bro Premiums premium site are clearly obsessed with the USC football program while conversely over on the Peristyle there is rarely any post about UCLA football at one point a week or so ago almost one third of the bro posts were about the USC program a topic was only exceeded by those that called for Mora's firing Bradley or that called for firing Mora Bradley or the AD Dan Guerrero is it misery loves company the purported UCLA academic superiority or something else that I'm missing a snarky response on your part is welcomed. Well, I'm going to say, Stephen, that you're perhaps misremembering when UCLA was doing particularly well in the beginning parts of the Mora era and USC was floundering, and I would venture on over to the Paris style. And there'd be so many little posts about how, oh, we want more, uh, man, all of our coaches suck, Kiffin, Sarkeesian, eh, all the time. What's different is now UCLA sucks right now. And so they're finding other things to write about than the same old thing that the team sucks. When the team's doing well, you're not going to see this kind of stuff. But when they're doing poorly, you're going to see posts about USC, posts about, I mean, there's posts about everything. There's off-topic posts in the middle of the season because there's just, you know, there's only so many times you can rehash that, oh, this team sucks and it's not as fun as it should be. Um, But, no, I think it's... um, and I would say probably a third of the posts are like about the team and then like two thirds of them are about firing some coach. Um, and then maybe just a little bit's about USC right now, but yeah, I mean, I think both, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but I think both sites generally talk about the other quite a bit. There's a and lot not just yeah. about the teams, but about each other. Like bro talks about the peristyle, the peristyle, um, loves to do they still do there's, they... there's a guy there's a guy on the peristyle who has as his profile picture tracy like has tracy pearson's picture as his profile picture. that is pretty funny yes peristyle. um uh yeah that's true and i think if you remember last year the 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 height of the ucla talk on the peristyle was sort of early on like even after the the not the one and three start like there was some then but when USC was starting to win again, and that's when recruiting sort of switched. They had a bunch of like three-star guys that were committed early, and then they started kind of dropping them as they got better and better, and then picking up better guys. During that time when they were dropping, or before they started dropping the three-star guys, and, and UCLA, I think, like Darnay Hall, I don't know, there was some stuff going on, or Jane Phillips, 
and there was a lot of talk about recruiting and UCLA. There was, I think that was the height was last year, kind of middle of the season. And it started to go away, obviously, when they started winning more games and they were picking up better recruits. But Clay Hilton, like, almost like as a contingency, had a whole bunch of like three-star dudes committed right. when they were sucky. And then once they started winning, they could drop those guys and pick up four-star guys or five-star guys. Yeah, it's like, and you know, see, I'm like the inverse. I like to, I like to talk a lot about USC when they're bad because I think it's fun. Like I like to, like my favorite tweeting about USC is when they're bad, and that's just the, that's just a me thing. That's just a sick part. Yeah. I actually like tweeting mostly about UCLA when they're bad too. The snark comes out. I might just be out. a negative person, Ryan. The snark comes out. It's good, you know. <laughs> Uh, but good question from Steven. I think it's I think it's a little bit of um, uh, a little perception bias there, but yeah, but it's fine. Well, good questions. There were some uh, some really good uh, questions there. Hopefully, you guys liked our answers. If not, I don't know what to you know. Write your congressman. I'm not sure what you can do. No. Find, find a new free podcast to listen to. <laughs> yes, uh, you could do that. But man, it's uh, there. Are people are listening. People are uh, talking about it. it. It's good, and uh, I think people enjoyed having kyle on we'll, we'd love to have him come back on uh again sometime so it was good to to get a different perspective one that maybe has some knowledge behind it. yeah yeah i mean a little bit of knowledge not too much but a little bit of knowledge yeah. goes a long way here but the fact that he's a huge fan this is i think this is his favorite podcast or you know that's from what he said so that's pretty cool reported to be yeah yeah now he might tell that to everybody but um, he tells I'm, that to all the podcasts all the podcasts he comes on that talk about the Pac-12, they really aren't. I mean, I I know there was a couple before, and I just don't know. And not that we are like models of consistency, but there's other ones that, you know, I think we're fairly consistent as far as like during the season. And I think there's other ones that have kind of come and gone. Like they haven't gone year after year. So we've been at least consistently here and keep going. You know, I think there were some that came, they were around for a little bit and then they stopped and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, but we are, we are the last men standing the last podcast standing i don't know they're they're, they're very well maybe other ones i just haven't looked i my podcast schedule is kind of full you know because i try to listen to like national ones and i gotta listen to some usc stuff and then uh go forward there so i don't know do you listen to a lot of them or i i listen to uh, so from a football perspective like my rotation is typically i listen to the shutdown full cast which is by the um the the some of the SB Nation dudes, and then I'll listen to the podcasting played nobody, which is also the SB Nation dudes, but a different set of them. Oh, okay. And then my final one in the rotation is the Solid Verbal, and that's the one that I'll get to after the other ones. Okay. Um, and I generally like the preview show a little bit more than the recap, but gotcha. That's usually my rotation. But you yeah. know, I've got a lot of commuting time. That's just that's just you know, I get like six hours of podcasts in a week. Yeah. Hey everyone, pretend this is the very beginning, and we're about to do our. 12 roundup. <laughs> I just feel bad. I forgot to play that sound today. I noticed that at the beginning. I was waiting for it, and then you just went into the start of the uh, the 12. Yeah. Um, you know, my brain's a little... I just got to sleep in my own bed last night for the first time in a while. That was nice. No red-eye flights. So I, my apologies for missing that one. Yeah, well, everyone's everyone tuned out right when you didn't do it, and now we're talking enough, buddy. So we did hour forty six. So that's not too bad. Hour forty seven. This was this was a streamlined podcast. It was. We, we went quick. I think it was pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah, good stuff, Dave. All right. Well, that's David Woods. Uh, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the podcast of Champions. Please tweet us. 
please leave us positive feedback. Subscribe on iTunes. We'll find out about the Google Play stuff. But we do appreciate you taking some time to listen to our little show. And we will talk to you next time.